How are you guys? Good. Good. I worry it's going to be my goal to like, like interact with you guys, and you, I'm going to say stuff, you're going to say back stuff back to me, it's going to be fun. It just got real quiet, huh? <laughs> now it's so good to be here. Like it's it's honest, it's just an honor and a privilege to be here. We've known Ryan for years. Um, we were talking about it last night, but I don't remember how long. It's been a really long time. He's older than me, I'm sure of it, and um, probably not. And um, but it's just really good to be here. It's my first time at Awakening. And uh, glad to be here with you guys and really excited about you guys bringing the team down in uh, this next com- next year, the beginning of next year. And uh, so if you're here, I expect to see you there. It's kind of a mandate now. So, hey, that is my home and it's a great way just to start because that's really just the kind of the center and the core of what we do. Um, it's, we believe it's all, we believe the very idea of the kingdom of God is really family. How many of you guys know that? And, uh, and the, the man that's, in the, in, that's speaking through that video is my brother. Um, he and I grew up together. He was actually one of the first boys that came into the orphanage almost 30 years ago. It's actually our ministry will be 30 years old um, this month. And so we're, we're, we're having a birthday party too. We're holding it off until February actually, but we're having a birthday party. So um, how many of you guys are just excited to be alive? There you go. I am too. I like, I honestly, like I wake up every morning and I just go like, this is it. This is like, this is like the best time in history. This is it. And honestly, this is the best year. This is the best day yet. And, and it's easy to say that because tomorrow's going to be better. And I'm going to wake up and say the exact same thing tomorrow because there's, there's, there's more belief on the earth. There's more faith on the earth than there ever has been before. There's more of Jesus on the earth. There's more of heaven on the earth than there ever has been before. And it's because of you guys. It's because of it's because of the Christ, of the body of Christ. It's because of the church. And um, God's doing amazing things throughout the earth. Have you guys heard of those things? It's pretty, he's doing really amazing things. Like, um, like we're seeing people get healed. Like we've never seen them get healed. We're seeing people get saved in numbers that we've never seen them get saved in before. We are in the last um, probably six to eight months. We started praying for. Um, we've been praying for cities for years. Like, God, we want to see cities saved. And I want to say it was about eight months ago. We were reading through Acts, and um, we were reading through it and just going like, like, man, I like, we see so many people personally raise their hand and say, yes, I want to surrender my life to Christ. And uh, it's, it's the greatest miracle ever to see somebody get born again. And, um, and we started praying for, like, God, if we want to see cities saved, and when I say see cities saved, I don't mean like everybody raises their hand and say, I believe in Jesus, but we actually see like heaven like descend like on earth like it's the one thing that jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven and um and but if we want to see that happen if we want to see entire cities saved we need to we need to see progression between a person giving their life to jesus and a city and so we started praying for households, like in the book of Acts. Like, you remember when you're reading through, you know, the early church, and you would read, and, you know, Paul or Peter, or somebody would go to the house, and, like, the household got saved. And so we started praying into that. And then in the last, um, actually, in the last, like, three months this summer, we've seen probably, like, six families, six households, not just the family, but everybody that was living in a house at one time meet Jesus, surrender their lives to Jesus, and get born again. And so if we can see a household get saved, it just leaves me into this great place of faith that in our lifetime we'll see cities saved. And if we can see a city saved, we'll start seeing nations get completely transformed. And that should excite you. <laughs> well, listen, we, um, my, my wife and I, Gina, we uh, co-lead a ministry in Mexico, the ministry that's right there. It's not just in Mexico anymore. We've been in Mexico for 30 years. My parents founded the ministry I'll tell you a little bit about that. Um, but we began as an orphanage, and now we are a church in Mexico. Uh, we're a multi-campus church in Tijuana, and then we lead an orphanage, uh, a family care center, which is really uh, going after the root of the problem, the breakdown of family, um, so that we can take care of the kids and we can keep families together so kids don't get, uh, families don't blow apart and kids get put in institutions. Um, and then we have schools. We, we run schools from preschool all the way to the school of missions and school of ministry. 
And, um, and so that's what's taking place in Mexico. And then in this last year, we have actually branched out, and we just launched a base in Romania, and we launched another base in Nicaragua. And so we're really excited about uh, 30 years in Mexico, and now we're branching out to other continents. So we're, we're excited about that. Um, it was, uh, well, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I was sitting in a family room, or my parents called me into our family room in Walnut Creek, California, just over the hill, not far from you guys. And uh, they called my sister and myself in. They sat us down and they said, hey, do you guys remember that orphanage that we visited in Mexico? And um, we, my sister and I looked at each other and we're like, yeah, it was amazing. It was such a great week. You know, it was probably because we went to Disneyland on the way home. I'm sure of it. And, um, and they said, well, good. We're so glad that you liked it because, like, the Lord spoke to us. And, um, and he told us to move to Mexico and take care of abused and abandoned kids. And um, I was pretty convinced they heard wrong. <laughs> but they didn't listen to me because I was 10. And, and uh, they took about six months from when they heard that word. And they sold everything that they had but two cars. My dad owned gas stations and an oil jobber ship, and um, they were plugged into their church. They were the junior high pastors, and they sold every, in a matter of six months, sold everything that they had except for two cars. They packed us up and one other family with us, and we moved to Tijuana, Mexico, and they didn't speak the language. They didn't know how orphanages ran. They didn't even know where to move other than this temporary men's rescue mission, and it has been a wild, wild ride with Jesus ever since then, and I am so so glad that they are they are absolute heroes of the faith that when they heard the word of the Lord they said yes and because of their yes a simple simple yes thousands of lives have been changed and honestly thousands of kids lives have been changed and so we um we were probably it probably took them uh just right at two years from the time that they sold everything to the time that we saw the first kids come into the orphanage. And um, that, that Leo was actually one of the first boys, my brother. He's actually at home leading worship in our church right now. And, um, and we were doing devotions one day with my dad. And uh, when, we, when we were first there, when the, the word was orphanage. It was to take care of abused and abandoned kids. And so they, they bought a piece of property. We, we all went to work as a family. Um, took forever to build. We got two homes, and in each one of the homes, we had uh, just over 20 kids. And, and technically speaking, I like to hold the title that I was the first orphanage boy, and I'm holding on to it tight. But I grew up in the first in in house one is where I grew up with my parents as the first house parents. And my dad would do devotions with us every day, and and he wasn't really much of like a kids pastor, a children's pastor. He was just dad. And so his idea of devotions was he would get all of us kids, we'd sit on the living room floor, and he would just read a chapter. It was more like, it wasn't kids' ministry, it was just my dad doing his personal devotions, and we had to sit there. <laughs> and so there was this one morning, we're all sitting on the family room floor, and, and he's reading Matthew 28, and he gets to the part where it says, go into all the world, and he hysterically starts laughing. And, you know, all of us kids are looking around at each other going, like, there's nothing funny about this. Like, we don't get it at all. And my dad stopped, and he goes, no, 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 no. It's not that the verse is funny. He goes, what's funny is, it's like, like, I feel like the Lord told me to move to Mexico, and I was obedient, and I did it. And he's like, look around the room. Look at all of your guys' lives that's being, like, transformed by the unconditional love of God. And I feel like what he's saying is, we got to take what's happening here and in you and get it out there. Again, we had no idea what that meant because I was one of the oldest kids at 12. And so he, my dad was a big planner. And so he took like an hour and a half. And he was like, this is how you share your story with Jesus. And then he put us into a bus. And he drove us to the other side of Tijuana. And he drove us down to the, to the very bottom of the Tijuana dump. And it was, um, it, was, it was, at the time, it was where the poorest of the poor of our city lived. They actually lived inside of the dump. They made their homes out of trash. Most of the homes were made out of styrofoam at the time, and they, had, uh, they actually had stores down there. It was actually their whole world. It was like another city within a city, and um, they didn't really leave, and my dad drove down. We got down, and he opens up the bus doors, and it was just him, and there was probably 15 of us kids, maybe 16, and he, he turned around. He looked at us, and this is what he says. He was like, okay you got to go in groups of two or three, because if you go by yourself, your mom's going to kill me. <laughs> and then he did this. He's like, he opens the doors, and he's like, okay, go get them. 
And remember, like, I'm 12 and one of the oldest kids. And so, like, we, like, I step out, and I actually went with Leo, Leo's older brother, and me. We were the same age. And so, like, we go together, and we're just, like, we're actually terrified of people. Like, I'm so shy. I can't talk to people. I'm 12 years old, and not that I spoke very good Spanish anyways. And so we would walk up. We would just walk up to people, and we'd just stand there. And we would just wait. And it's like, if you don't, you just got to use what you have. And, like, I just figured I had shyness. I'm going to use this to my full. <laughs> and so I would just go stand there, and I would wait. And I would just be, like, kicking the dirt. And eventually they would ask me, like, hey, are you lost? <laughs> And they're like, nope. It was like 20 questions. And then eventually you would get to, like, did you want to tell me something? And it was like, this was the entirety of my message. It was like, I know Jesus, and I'm alive. <laughs> That's honestly about what I had. And, you know, Pablo would say a little bit more, and he would be like, you know, tell a two-second testimony, and like, this is what I have. And, this is the and then we would just go back to this. Oh, God, oh, God, I hope they have a good question for me. <laughs> eventually, we would get to this. I remember the first person, and it was like, eventually, they get to, did you want to pray for me? <laughs> and it was like, yes. <laughs> okay. Eventually, we started gaining, gaining steam, and like person after person started hearing just, just a really simple message of like, I know Jesus, and I'm alive because I met him. Like, I'm alive because I met this person, Jesus. And that was all we had to say. And person after person started giving their heart to the Lord. And then everything changed. Like, we were going back to the bus, and now it was more like, are you kidding me? I'm like the next Billy Graham of Mexico. It's like, (laughs) this is amazing. And so we get on the bus, and we're all, like, competing. It was like, I led, like, three adults to the Lord. There was something special about being, like, 12. and It's like leading a 12-year-old, eh. But leading an adult when you're a little kid, like you're like, oh yeah, that counts for a lot. <laughs> and so we get on the bus and we're just like, we're all super stoked and it's a big party and we're celebrating. And then my dad goes, okay, let's go. He starts the bus, he starts driving away and it's this big incline out. He starts to drive up the hill and he stops. I remember him, he pulls the air brakes, he turns around, he looks back. When he looks back, we all look back because we don't know what he's looking at. And um, it was just this wild moment and Holy Spirit just filled our bus. And it was, it, was, it was honestly one of the most sobering moments of the Holy Spirit that I've ever had. It was, it was very, <laughs> he just came. And I remember my dad turning, looking backwards and just saying the words, okay, now what? And um, it, was like, it was like kind of in an instant, like, like that the Lord opened our eyes and we began to see need in a different way. And all of a sudden we realized that like, Okay, well, while the word of the Lord brought us to another country, it was through seeing need or having the Spirit of God highlight a need to us that he was going to show us what else we were going to do. And it was in that moment, in that bus, that the, the vision exploded from orphan care to, okay, we want to see city saved. And we ended up buying property in, in, um, inside of the dump. which I don't even know how you do that, but we bought property because I was 12, so I don't know how we did it. <laughs> I was there. I still just didn't understand. But we actually bought property inside of the dump, and we built the first church that was inside of the Tijuana dump. It was our first church plant. We've built um, 21 now since we've been in Mexico. Um, And then we were there, and we were building the church, and we realized that there was over 400 kids that were living inside of the dump, that there was no public school for them or private school. And so that was our first elementary school that we ever built in Mexico. How many of you guys know that, that... the moment that you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and inhabits you. He fills you. And the moment you say yes and he comes, you become incredibly gifted. And the very first thing that he gifts you with is eyes to see and ears to hear. You guys all right? You guys got your Bibles? Do you? All right. I, I know half, three quarters of you get your phones out. I... I do read on my phone, I do read on my iPad, but I just, I just have this love for paper. And I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to, I would love to see an app on people's phones that like when you open it up and you're, and you're going to a thing, it makes like paper noises. <laughs> it would make pastors all throughout the world feel a lot better. 
Uh, go ahead and go to Matthew 14. And while you're turning there, I'm going to talk about John really quick. You guys can, you guys can read John 3 later on. When Jesus... Um, <clears throat> Jesus was in a home, and late at night, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus and, <clears throat> his, and said, hey, we, and he came under the cover of night, for, of night for fear of the Jews, even though he was a Pharisee and a leader of the Jews. And he came to Jesus and he said, listen, I know that, that you are a, um, I know that you're from the Father. I know that you're from God because of the things that you're doing. Like, I've never seen signs, wonders, and miracles like this, so we know that you're of the Father. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with him, and he makes a statement in verse 7, and he says, listen, Nicodemus, if you really want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And Jesus actually points out a need in Nicodemus, and he goes, listen, like you're hungry for God because you're coming to me under the cover of night, but if you really want to see the kingdom, if you really want to see the kingdom of God, you, you must be born again. And they go into like a pretty famous conversation of, of um, you know, of Nicodemus going like, I don't understand how that would work. That would be super uncomfortable for me and my mom. And Jesus is going like, I can't believe that you're a teacher of Israel. And, and eventually they get back to this. Jesus goes, listen, if you really want to see the kingdom, you must be born again. And then seven verses later in verse 14, Jesus says this. He says, even if Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness so that all of Israel could be healed, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And this is all I want you to get. All I want you to get is that Jesus, when he had need highlighted to him and he spoke it out, that almost, it almost immediately required of him to become the solution. Did you get that? I'm going to say it again. Like, the moment that Jesus spoke out the need that was highlighted to him, Nicodemus, if you really want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. It almost immediately required of Jesus to become the solution that he could be born again. How many of you guys know that like, Jesus didn't cause the sin problem on the earth? But he took responsibility for it on the cross. Like, our need became Jesus' need. And he became the solution. Like, this is, this is the heartbeat of the mission. This is the heartbeat of missions. The, the, the need that the Spirit of God highlights to us actually becomes our need. And it's not something that we just flippantly point out because we can see it, but that, that when we see it, there's actually this conviction in our heart and that and the, the, the Spirit of God is speaking to us that we would move towards those things and actually become the solution. You guys okay? I was in... Um, um, we're going to get to Matthew in a second. We, um, I was driving around our city in, in Tijuana, and we probably have just over 3 million people living in our city now. And, um, and it's massive, and it's constantly growing. There's people from all over South America that are coming to it. It's, it's border town, and, um, and it has massive need. I mean, I love our city, but it has, it's not hard to see need in our city. And I was driving through the city, and um, I was just praying. And I was driving around, and I was really praying, God, like, like I just I want to see our city saved. Like, I was just doing a, a prayer drive. I had no reason to be out other than praying, and I was just driving through the city, just, and my prayer over and over again was, God, I want to see our city saved, and, and I don't want to see it, like, in my lifetime. I want to see it tomorrow. I want to see, I want to see this city represent heaven on earth. I want, I could go on for days. I just want to see the city saved, and, and I, as I was driving, like, like, the Lord spoke to me, and he just said, Jimmy, like, like, like I'll give you the city, like, like, let's save the city. And I was, I was so excited, and at the same time, like, I actually, like, turned my car around and started going home, like, oh, I'm done. Like, the Lord just gave me the city. It's going to be amazing. And this is what happened in my mind, and it, and it, like, really marked me. It was kind of a marking moment. This was about four years ago. And I, I turned around, and I started driving home, and I kind of stopped praying for my city, and I started imagining, like, how God was going to do it. And I started imagining, like, this is going to be amazing. Like, I'm praying for God, I want a city, I want to see a city saved. And he's like, okay, I'll, let's, like, I'll give you the city. And I turn around, I'm driving home, and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. He's going to do it before I get home. What is it going to look like? Is a celestial city going to come down? Because that would be awesome. You know, what, what's it going to look like? 
And I started, and, and as I'm dreaming about all of, of how God is going to do this, he like spoke, have you ever had those moments when you're like kind of talking to God and praying to God and, and like he lives in you, but all of a sudden it's like he got out of you to talk to you? It's normally when you're being really dumb. And it was like he was sitting next to me in the car and he was like, Jimmy, I'll give you the city, but you're going to have to take it the way that it is. And then he started like speaking to me about my prayer life and he started speaking to me about like the way that that I viewed my own city. Like the fact that, that, that I would pray for it to be saved. And I had no problem seeing need, different portions of need in my city. And I could point it out really well. But I didn't, I didn't have this burning conviction to move towards the things that he was showing me and become the solution. And he said, Jimmy, if you want a city, you're going to have to take it the way that it is. You're going to have to take the good and you're going to have to take ownership of the things that are not good in the city. Because it's your city. You guys okay? Go to Matthew. Matthew 14. This is Jesus, and he, um, he just heard that John the Baptist had been murdered. We're going to jump in in verse 13. Jesus is actually trying to get away from the crowds. <clears throat> and it says, and when Jesus heard it, I'm I'm inserting that John the Baptist had been murdered. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Like this is this is a legitimate need. Like he's he's just heard that John, um, his forerunner, his cousin, an actual family member was murdered, and Jesus is trying to get away and just like to grieve the loss of a family member. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw, everybody say saw, a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for him, and he healed their sick. That word saw, it does not mean that Jesus was walking along and he saw the crowd with his naked eye. He actually did, because he was walking as a man, and he turned and he saw him with his naked eye. But that word saw in the Greek actually means edo. And it means that as Jesus was walking along and he saw the multitudes, it means that he perceived or became aware. And so as Jesus was walking along, his spirit actually turns toward the people and he perceived and became aware of their need. And it actually shifted the course of his life. It shifted the course of his day. And it says that as he was going about, he saw the need of the people, he perceived and became aware of their need, and he shifted what he was doing and moved towards the people in compassion, and he healed their sick. You guys get, like, like because you're gifted, because the Spirit of God lives in you, like, you see differently than the world. Like, you see things as a believer that the world doesn't actually see. And it, let me put it this way. Um, how many of you guys have ever been walking down the road, you're just walking down the sidewalk, you're doing something, you're going somewhere, and uh, you see a piece of trash on the ground, maybe a plastic water bottle or, or a plastic bag that's on the ground, and you see it, but you're thinking about what you're doing, you're thinking about where you're going, what mission or task you're on, and you see that piece of trash, and you keep walking, and as you're walking, going about whatever you're doing, you, keep, you get little like flashes or memories of that piece of trash on the ground. You guys are making me feel like it's just me. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Or you're walking, you you know, you're going through the grocery store and and like you see somebody in there and, and you're going about doing a legitimate work. My family needs food. I need frozen pizza. And you're like going through the store and you're getting the things that you need you're doing. And there is a person, an individual that just sticks out. And you have no idea what to say. You have no idea why. They just stick out to you. And, but, and you just keep going, and you're like going. And while you're getting your groceries, and you're doing things, and you're checking out, like you kind of get this weird, this really subtle, quiet-like flash in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart, wherever it flashes for you. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is called edoing. This is called Jesus saw, he edoed, he perceived, he became aware of the need of others around him, and he actually shifted the course of his life, and he moved towards it 
And this was the best part. When Jesus saw a need, he knew that he was on mission. And so like, he shifted the course of his day, and he actually became the solution regardless of what the problem was. It didn't matter if it was a storm on a lake, a crowd that was in need and healing, or if we'll keep reading, a crowd that was in need of food. So Jesus heals all of the sick. Verse 15, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves some food. And But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And you guys know the rest of the story. And the disciples go to Jesus, but that's like crazy. There's like 15,000 people and we have five loaves and two fish. And Jesus is like, perfect bring them here, and he breaks them, and he blesses them, and he gives them back to the disciples who feed 15,000 people. What just happened? Jesus has disciples, learners, pupils, people that are learning to follow him. Not just follow him around, but to follow the lifestyle of Jesus, what we're called to do. And so Jesus is walking away. He's actually trying to grieve by himself. He's, he's edos, or he perceives and becomes aware of people's needs. He shifts the course of his life. He heals them all. The disciples come and they go, Jesus, that was like, that was like one of the best services we've ever had. That was amazing. Great word. Fantastic. And we have the crowd. Like the crowd is really happy, but they haven't eaten in a long time and hungry people are mean. So like... Let's send them away and end on a good note. And Jesus does this really simple. And I, and I think this, this, I believe this entire situation, honestly, was for the disciples. Like, the people could have left. The people could have went and got food. But Jesus was like, listen, like, I'm actually done. I healed all of the people. But you, you saw, you saw the need, and so they don't need to go away. You feed them. I saw the need of this, and I became the solution. Now, if you're following me, you see need, and now you become the solution. And they go, that's impossible. And he goes, that's perfect. I love breaking the impossible. See, the thing is, is like that we'd like to take ownership and responsibility for the things that are going well. Like, like every, every church, every believer, when a city is saved, will be like, I would love to take ownership of that. I'd love to take ownership of a saved city. That would be so fun. I have four daughters, and um, I have four beautiful daughters. One's getting married next month, and one lives in Sacramento, and, and two of them are at home with us. Our youngest girl is Stevie, and um, she's 13 now. But when she, was, when she learned how to crawl, we realized that she was extremely gifted, and we're still trying to figure out how to um, like parent it to the benefit of humanity. And that's this, is like she could go into any room. She could come into this room, because I've seen her do it in our church. And that is this, she can go into a room, and within a matter of seconds, she can completely destroy it. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if it's a room, the family room, the bathroom, especially the bathroom, often the kitchen. It's like she can completely destroy it. I don't even know how she does it. I still don't get it. It's spreading, though. It's spreading to my 17-year-old. I've seen it happen in her room recently. And so, like, this is the thing. Like, we've done the, the whole parental, like, we do, we've been working on this for years. And so she's in a room right next to ours, and we do the thing. Like, you know, Stevie, this is, this is our house, but, you know, this is your room, and, like, these are your toys and your clothes, and you need to take ownership and responsibility of your stuff. And we've really tried everything. We're... And so, like, she, we're like, you got to take care of your stuff and clean your room and do all that stuff. And so her room's right next to my room, and I come home from work, and I've done this, and I, I walk down the hallway, open the door, stick my head in, and Stevie's in there sitting on the center of her room, and it's perfectly clean. And I am like, Stevie, amazing. Hey, great job. And she did this, and she was like, boom, stood up to her feet, and she was like, yeah, Dad, I came home from school, I did my homework. I cleaned up. She goes over to the closet. She, like, opens up the doors, and she's like, look. It's like Vanna White. She opens up everything. She's like, look. She's like, it's folded. It's clean. All my stuff's not. I'm like, hey, thumbs up. Great job. Way to go. High five. Everything. I give you every, every bit of encouragement I can give you for this moment. I'm not kidding you. The next day I come home, 
same hallway, same house, hallway, you know, same doorway. And I opened the door, and it was like she multiplied her possessions. <laughs> and you had to, like, crawl up into the room because there was so much stuff on the floor. And she was still sitting in the middle of the room. It was just on top of all of the stuff. <laughs> and I go in, and I'm like, Stevie, like, what happened? Same thing. She stands up, and she's like, Dad. My cousins came over, and look what they did. <laughs> and then they just left. I'm like, listen, we'd love to take ownership and responsibility of the things that are going well in our life. Something goes great, we're like, oh, yeah, I worked hard at that. Like, you're married, and you have a great marriage, and it's going good, and people are coming to you, and they're like, man, you guys have such a great marriage. How did you make it work? And it's like, well... You know, we really love well, and, and we do date night, and, and we, you know, we just, we die to one another. Like, we just, whew, done a lot of work to make this work, and, um, but you're just really proud of it. And then somebody else comes in, and they're, like, saying something else, and they're like, man, I'm concerned about you guys. And you're like, I know, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's like church. Somebody comes to, the, to your church. Let me clarify that again. Somebody comes to your church, and they're like, this church is amazing. It feels alive. The worship is amazing. It's just like I feel like the presence of God as soon as I walk through the doors. And you're like, yeah, we do family well. We disciple well. We are prayer warriors. <laughs> like, we just, we love our city. We love it, and we serve it. Not only, we're not that church that just loves our city, but we serve our city. And you're like, yeah, we do that. We do the work. Somebody comes to your church, and they're like, listen, like, Numbers are going down. Finances aren't so good. And you're like, I know. Ryan's messages, <laughs> just, they're just not what they used to be. <laughs> you guys, are you guys grasping with me? We love to take ownership and responsibility of the things that are going well. But if we want to see heaven invade our cities, in our lives, and our families, like we have to take ownership and responsibility of the current condition. We have to be able to understand that like he's given us eyes to see and ears to hear so that he can guide us and direct us to the areas that we're actually meant to bring about change. We have a little girl um, in our in our um, family care system, in our daycare. And so we did orphanage, I think, for about 10 years in Mexico. And we'd started building um, churches, and we started doing schools. And, and um, we realized that, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we realized that, that the majority of the kids that were in our orphan care program had family somewhere. But their families had blown apart, and it was like a single, a single mom that couldn't take care of the kids, or it was, you know, the parents abandoned the kids, and it was a grandparent that couldn't take care of the kids, and, and so there were, there were orphanages filled with kids that have family somewhere, and we, didn't, we don't want to have orphanages forever. We're believing in an orphanist planet really soon, and, um, and so we ended up building a, a family care system so that, so that if, if there's an, a grandparent or a, or a single parent or even, even a couple that can't take care, financially take care of their kids and there's just so much strain on the family, it's going to blow apart. We tell them, we will take your child at 6 in the morning, we'll have them until 6 at night, and we'll educate them and we'll feed them and we'll love them so that you know that they're safe and that you can, that you can provide for your family. And it's, it's really just a really sneaky way of loving on their children and introducing them to Jesus. And then they, the kids always introduce their parents to Jesus. It's sneaky. And um, we have one of those little girls, and this was a couple years ago, and I was in our church on Sunday morning, and um, her dad, she was eight years old at the time, and her dad came to church. And I met him like right here, right right before the service started, and he came in and said, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so's dad. And um, I have never been in church. This is the first time I've ever set foot in a church. And I was like, that's awesome, man. Welcome. So glad that you're here. And, and he goes, I actually came to find out what you guys have been doing to my daughter. And I was like, that sounds terrifying. What, what's going on? And um, he began to explain to me that he had an um, a infected tooth in the very back of his mouth, and there's one of the molars in the back. And he'd had it for weeks. He had no money. He couldn't go to the dentist. And it had gotten really bad. So his, the, the whole side of his face was swollen. He had a fever. And um, he was at his house on Saturday the day before, and he was, he was leaned 
he was in the kitchen, leaned on a counter, and um, he was just complaining about it and just going, oh, kind of moaning, he said. And I said, well, what happened? And he goes, my little girl said this. She said, Dad, I can take care of that. And I go, really? And, and he goes, I didn't know what that meant. Like, I can take care of that. I can take care of what? I'm in pain. And, um, and so he's standing. I go, well, what happened? And he goes, well, she actually went over and got her five-year-old little brother. She was eight and five. And they came over, and they pulled me down on my knees so they could reach me. And, um, and I go, what happened? She goes, well, she put, she put her hand on my face, and she said, Jesus fixes tooth. And I go, and what happened? And he's like, I don't know, but look at this. And he like opens up his mouth, and there's no infection. There's no swollen. And he's like, he goes, it's like I have a new tooth. And he goes, what was that? And I go, that's exactly what your daughter said. That was Jesus and your daughter. And he paid for your healing. And he ended up giving his life to Jesus right then. He met Jesus the day before, but he gave his life to Jesus right then. Imagine what it would be like in our cities. Imagine what it would be like in our families and our relationships. If, if when we saw need, we didn't actually just point it out and go like, what a screw up. Like, listen, as an as a eight-year-old child and your dad is there, like, what an opportune time to be like, Dad, you really should have brushed better. Right? I mean, it's like, this is obvious, right? Like, you should have brushed better, man. But she didn't. She stood up and she said, Dad, I'm eight. I can take care of that. Was it impossible? Yes. Was it impossible for the great one who lived inside of her? Nah. It's cake. Imagine what it would be like in our lives, in our families, in our cities, in the nations if we as the church actually rose up and didn't use our gifted eyes to point out the failures of the world, but we actually moved towards those and said, hey, we can take care of those. We can take care of that. We don't necessarily know how, but we're going to move towards it and become the solution. You guys good? We... um. We've been in Mexico for 30 years, and about four years ago, uh, the Lord started highlighting continents to us. And um, this is what was weird, is, he, is he, he just started highlighting images of continents to, to us and our team, and we started praying into that, going like, God, that's, um, those are really big. And, um, and so we started praying for clarity, and we started praying, for, like, God, what are you talking about? And, and he started speaking to us about planting uh, missions bases, like what we do in Mexico around the world. And, um, and, and, our, and our instant response to that is, is excitement and a little bit of terror and, like, all right, Lord, like, like what would that look like? And you're going to have to give us a lot of direction and, like, tell us where to go. And so we prayed for, like, six months going, God, like, like, where are we supposed to go? Like, a continent is a continent. And, and, um, and not, not only are you showing us, like, a continent, you're showing, like, multiple continents. And, and so we um, were praying into that, and, and the Lord showed us Europe, and he highlighted Europe, and he said that his eyes were fixed on Europe, and that he was flooding it with his presence, and that we were to be part of it. And then he went really quiet. And so we'd pray more, and he'd stay quiet, and we'd pray more, and he was still silent on that issue. And, um, and so we did what we knew how to do, and so we just Googled need in Europe. <laughs> and, um, and we found Moldova, and we were like, wow, Moldova, okay, it's like one of the poorest countries in Eastern Europe, and they have all kinds of need. And so Gina and I, we bought two plane tickets, and we called a friend that was, she was actually working in Romania, and, and she was like, come to Romania. And we're like, no, we don't want to go to Romania, there's too many ministries there. And, and, um, and we go, we want to go to Moldova. And so, so we fly in, <clears throat> and she meets us, and we drive for a week all through Moldova. And we look everywhere, and we're like, yeah, there's tons of need here. We could totally do something. And, um, and so we drive all around, and we had to take our friend back to where she was working in Romania. And, and um, we, we, we drive... We drive her, and as soon as we hit the Moldovan and the Romanian border, and we drive through it, Gina and I looked at each other instantly and said, no, this is it. 
Like, this is the country we're supposed to be in. And so we go on this kind of wild journey for the next three days, and the Lord takes us to a particular city. And, um, and he just, over, this, over the next few days, and he goes, this is it, this is the city. We come home and, and go, like, guys, this, like, we found work. We're not in Moldova, we're in Romania, and the Lord was really clear, and this is what we're going to go after, and, and we're going to take the best of what we do in Mexico and, and take it there. There's 60,000 orphans in a country of 19 million. 60,000, those are the kids that are on the books. That so doesn't include, like, at-risk, kids in need. And, um, and um, at the same time, we didn't know what was going on in Europe. Like, we were living in Mexico, and, and um, we didn't know that it was the five, this is the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. And there was, a, there was literally a revival that's sweeping throughout Europe. Um, I was just in a, in a conference with 2,000 church leaders in, in England, and, and I saw probably... Two or three hundred people get healed in one night there. It was just amazing. And there's just, there's just an absolute hunger for what God's doing in Europe. And so we, flip, we end up choosing that city, and we go back, and, and um, we get there, and we're going to buy vacant land, just like we know how to do in Mexico, just like we did 30 years ago. And so we start, um, we start touring the city and we have a friend of ours who's actually on our staff there now. And we're going around from vacant land to vacant land. And it's ridiculously, wildly expensive for very small pieces of vacant land. And um, we're just, but we're sold out on doing what we know how to do. And um, we look at like five of them. And finally, this guy goes like, listen, would you guys like, would you guys be interested in seeing this factory? It's a clothing factory. And, um, and we start talking through it. And it's, it's huge. It's it's en- it ended up being the same size of our campus in Mexico after 30 years of building. It's existing, sitting there. And we're like, no, we don't want to see a factory. Like, we, we know what we need to do, and it's, it's vacant land. And so we look at, like, five more, and they're all, they won't work. And he goes, I really think you need to look at this factory. And I'm like, I really don't want to go see a factory. <laughs> and so... Finally, mostly because of his persistence, honestly, if I'm truthful, and we get to this, and we're like, fine, we'll go see your factory. And we go, we go to this factory, and we drive up, and as soon as we drive up, and we're looking at this building, it's mammoth, and Gina and I are like, this is interesting. And then we walk through the front doors of this building, and as soon as we walk through the doors, Holy Spirit says, this is it. Listen, you, you don't have to know the end game for what he shows you. You just have to have enough courage and faith to take one step towards it. And I'll be really honest with you. It doesn't matter if it's a piece of trash on the ground, which I think most of you guys have courage and faith to pick that one up. But here's the interesting thing. It doesn't matter if it's a piece of trash on the ground or a, piece of, or a person in a wheelchair. It's the same to him. It doesn't matter if it's a nation that he's highlighted to you. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, um, a person that looks like they're lonely that has just stuck out in your mind. Like, you don't have to know exactly what to say. You don't have to know exactly what to pray for. You don't have to know exactly what to do. All you have to do is move towards it. And so Jane and I get there, and we walk through the doors, we, and we're going, like, we don't even want to be here. Like, and we walk through the doors, and the Holy Spirit goes, this is it. And it's like, finally you speak to us. <laughs> this is it. And then we started arguing, like, well, I started arguing with God and just going, like, God, no way. Like, this is way too much money. Which, which it was. It was ridiculous. It was, they ended up, we, we went through a series, and then, we said, okay, like how much? How much do you guys want for this thing? And they said $3.7 million, which honestly could have been $37 billion. Really no big difference for us. $3.7 million, sure. $3.7 billion, about the same. And we came home, and, and um, it was Easter morning, and we were, we were wrapping up. Um, we had built our second campus for our church. It's a similar room to this. And um, it was Easter morning, and we're going to start it. And, and uh, we're getting ready for, for our grand opening in the new building that we barely got paid for. And, and, uh, and the Lord is telling us, like, you need to commit to the church that we're going to buy this building in Romania. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going, like, commit to that? Like, we don't, we don't, Lord. And so we're walking around and we're praying and, and, um, and we go, 
all right, Lord, like, if, if, you're, if you want us to do this, like, if you want us to do this, you're going to have to bring the money. And so we're walking through our brand new building. We actually finished it the night before. It was brand new, and, and we finished all the floors the night before, and we put the chairs in, and, and like, I was walking through all the chairs, and everybody was praying, and people thought I was praying for, like, the people in the chairs because I'm a good pastor, but really I was just going, oh, God, like, if we're going to do this, like, you got to really show up. And so I'm praying that, like, Lord, if you're going to do this, you got to show up. And right when I looked down, I opened my eyes, and there was a brand new 10 cents of a peso. And I was like, okay, good enough. I need like 280 million more of those. <laughs> but, but it was like, okay, Lord. And so we committed to it. And so we got up in front of the church, and we told them the story. And we said, Lord said, this is it. And we, yeah. and we said, all right, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to do this as a family. And we're going to buy this building. And, um, and we have no idea how, but we know that the Lord has told us to do it. And so we're going to run after it. We're going to run towards it. And so we called them, and we started a six-month negotiation process, and they went from $3.7 million to $1.4 million. And then we signed papers, and when we signed papers, they messed something up, and so then it went to $1.3 million. And then they ended up carrying the note for two years, and, so we, and, and we raised, and I think in four months, we raised $400,000, which we have never done in our entire lives. We've never done anything like that. And so we just moved a team of 10 there, and we're actually opening our family care system there next, uh, September 23rd. You do not have to know the end game. We still don't know the end game. All you have to do is have the courage and the faith to move towards the need that he's highlighted to you. And he will show up, and his world will break into your world. And you will see miracles like you've never dreamt of before. Listen, I am beyond excited that we're living in a time where, where in a generation we could actually see cities saved. San Jose could be saved. Tijuana could be saved. Sigishore, Romania could be saved in our lifetimes. But it happens through his kids Standing up, edoing, changing the course of our lives, and becoming the solution for our families and for our cities. Imagine what it would be like if we were the church that looked at the problems around us and said, hey, we can take care of that. Not because we're all that, but because of the great one that lives inside of us. You guys all right? You guys want to stand up? I want to pray with you. I'll just pray that every one of you come on the mission trip to Mexico. But you should. Let's put your hands out like you're going to catch something. Yeah, Father, we pray as a family for an increase of faith this morning. God, as individuals, we cry out for it. But as a family this morning, I feel like there's something really significant about asking this morning corporately. So God, we ask as a family, increase our faith. God, increase our faith for cities saved. Increase our faith for miracles in our life. Increase our faith that the impossible would be done through us. Increase our faith, God, that we're gifted, that we have eyes to see, that we don't see like the world sees. Increase our faith, Lord. God, make a deposit in us this morning.
of supernatural courage. That we would be your wild ones. We would be the ones that would stop for, for the one in the wheelchair, that would stop for the piece of trash, that would stop for the one that looks like they're lonely. God, that we would be the ones that would see the broken places in our city. God, that there would be courage inside of us to move towards those areas and bring about your heart and bring about your ways. That there would be enough courage in us to move towards the brokenness of our families. And to hold on to it. Hold on to the family, regardless of the cost. God, increase our faith. God, I pray that you would increase our faith in such a way, God, that, that this would be a group of people that would be recorded in like Hebrews. And there would be a list in eternity of the wonders and the things that God did through you. God, we pray that it would all be about life. Jesus, we thank you that you came to give life and life abundant. God, I, I, just, I just pray that, that this group of people, that we would learn how to live so well that that would be the testimony that shifted the course of the city. That we would live so well. That we would love so well. That we would be so sensitive to your spirit that we would... <laughs> Take a minute and just, just dream about heaven superimposed over your family. Heaven superimposed over this city. No more sickness, no more disease, no lack. Pure love. Can you imagine a city that lacks nothing? Lives that lack absolutely nothing because they're so anchored in King Jesus that they have everything that they need. God, I just pray that life and life abundant would be done so well here that the city would come running to it. God, I thank you for this house. I thank you for each and every person that's in it. And God, I just pray that you would bless them. From our house to your house, we bless you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you that you're part of this, that, that you've included us in your family. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have chosen us. And you have called us your own. And you've called us to great things. <laughs>